This week is the third week of Advent, the week uh, in which joy is the emphasis. And I want to speak to you this morning from the subject, Jesus Christ, our joy has come. Jesus Christ, our joy has come. And for a text, I want us to look at a portion in Luke's account of the gospel. Uh, Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading, uh, starting with verse 39, and we're going to be looking at uh, the text through verse 79. I may not read the whole uh, passage, but we want to look at uh, some people who were filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with joy because they recognized that Jesus was coming. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 39. And as you turn there, you too have to recognize that Jesus has come, and he has brought salvation, and you have reason, infinite reason, to rejoice because of him. Luke 1, 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered a, the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women! And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. 
But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name, by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the ways of peace, the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now there's a lot here, and I want us to focus on, on joy. In those days, uh, the passage begins in Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 39. They were the days, as you can hear, uh, of God revealing himself and affirming his faithfulness to his promise of sending his help, sending Jesus. And in your life, as you see in the lives of the people we just read about, there is a need to zealously fellowship with one another over this good news of God's gospel and his kingdom. You and I should be sharing these things, what God has done in his son Jesus with one another on a regular basis. We are called to greet one another with joy over what the Lord has done for us, what the Lord is doing right now in and through us, and what he has promised he shall do for you and through you. Our interaction, just like Mary's and Elizabeth here, uh, their fellowship, our fellowship, is, is meant to to stir us to be filled with the Spirit of God. 
And um, what brought on this filling in the life of Elizabeth, um, when she was filled with the Spirit of God, she perceived, she perceived when the Spirit of God filled her, uh, that, that the Lord was present with her. That Mary, the mother of the, of the Lord, um, had come. And Jesus had come to the house. He was inside of Mary at this moment. And Elizabeth is, is, is rejoicing. And Mary is rejoicing. And, and John the Baptist is rejoicing. He's inside of Elizabeth. And he's, the, the sense of the word is that he's jumping up and down. He's leaping up and down with joy inside of his mother. I suppose if Elizabeth uh, wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit, she may be of the mind that she's about to give birth. Uh, but it says that she knew by the power of the Spirit that Jesus, inside of Mary, had come to her house. And as many have pointed out, there's no jealousy in Elizabeth. There's no coveting. She's just rejoicing. She's exclaiming. She can't help but think of the privilege and the gift that it is that Mary would come to her house, that Jesus would come to her house. And shouldn't it be that way with us? When we meet one another, when we greet one another, even via Zoom, when we're in one another's presence, our interaction, our fellowship, should stir us to be filled with the Spirit of God because we too should perceive God's presence inside of one another. He's with you. He's in you. And we are called, like the, uh, like the Apostle said in the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 5, he tells us there in verse 18, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word here used in, in Luke chapter 1 is, is eulogizing. When you go to a funeral, you, 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 you hear a eulogy. You hear a good word about the deceased. And that's the word that's used here. And, and, and Mary uh, came and Elizabeth was, was eulogizing her. She was speaking a good word about Mary and a good word about the fruit of her womb, uh, the presence of the Lord inside of her. And, and that's, that's the way our interaction ought to be. We should be speaking good words about one another. Good words about what God is doing in each other. Good words about what God is doing through each other. And, and good words about what he endeavors to do in you and through you. That's the way our interaction, our, our coming together ought to be. We, we humbly consider, as, as Elizabeth did, the gift that it is that we're in one another's presence and God lives in you, and God lives in me, and we get together and we talk about what God is doing in our lives, and what God is doing through us, 
and it should excite us that he's present inside of us. It should humble us, and we should we should count it a a, a supreme gift, and uh, uh, we should count one another uh, more significant than ourselves, as even as Elizabeth did with Mary, and uh, commended her. And um, we're called to this type of mindset, as it says in Philippians uh, chapter 2, to count each other more significant and to think of the interest of others, not simply our own. And then um, uh, the word that Elizabeth uses uh, in in chapter 1, verse 45, is a different word. The the English Standard Version uses the same English word, blessed, uh, but... uh, the word in verse 45 is, is the word uh, that's used uh, to mean happy. It's the same word that Jesus used in the Beatitudes. It's the same word used uh, in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. How happy. It's the word happy. Happy is the man. And, and, and Elizabeth says how happy Elizabeth uh, uh, Mary is because she believed that, that God would fulfill what he said to her, and um, and that's that's true in in many ways of you as well. How happy is everyone who fearlessly is willing to believe that the Lord favors you? How happy it is that you believe that God is gracious toward you? How happy uh, you 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 ought to be that, and 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 how happy you are that that God has brought salvation to you, that God eternally rules over you and rules for you and for your good. All things work together for your good. How happy it is that, uh, and how happy you are that you believe and experience God dwelling in you and, and dwelling in you by his Holy Spirit. The triune God lives inside of you. Not physically, like Mary did, but, but spiritually and, 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 and literally. And, and God is the God who, who does the impossible for you. That's what God, that's what the angel uh, told uh, Mary. Nothing would be impossible uh, with God. And that's true for you as well. How impossible it would be for you to save yourself and and to receive the favor of God. But God does what is impossible for you. How happy you are. Who simply, all of you, who simply believe God and His good word. And that it would be fulfilled for people who are unlikely like you. People who are unworthy like you, like me. But yet God has been gracious. God has been merciful, even though we are not worthy of it. Mary, uh, not only Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit, but Mary was obviously filled with the Spirit, as John was full of the Spirit. The Bible says that he would be full of the Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So here we have Elizabeth filled with the Spirit, John filled with the Spirit, and Mary is obviously filled with the Spirit, because what she next says become scripture, which is breathed out by the Spirit of God. And she, she speaks uh, uh, in, in this passage, it's no, normally known as the Magnificat, 
She speaks from the very depths of her being. Uh, you, you hear it, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's not as if uh, the rest of her didn't. It's just that from her very, from the depths of who she is, she is she's magnifying the Lord. And, and she is drawing attention to the Lord. She is connecting the dots to every good thing in her life and everything good that will ever be in her life back to the Lord. She is, as you and I ought to be, turning the spotlight on the Lord. Is that what you do? In all your ways, acknowledge Him, turning the spotlight on the Lord? Every good thing you have, every good perfect gift you have been given is from the Lord. It comes down from the Father of lights. It comes to you through Jesus Christ. You and I should be connecting those dots of every good thing that happens in our life. It happens because of the Lord himself. And Mary here, she, she is she's ecstatic. She is magnifying the Lord uh, it's just because of this, this joy that he has given her, because of this gift she has given her. Of, of, of giving birth to the to the Messiah of of, of being impregnated uh, by by uh, the supernatural act of the of the the Spirit of God coming over her and Christ being uh, born in her um, your greatest joy should be Christ in you Christ for you Christ with you, Christ working through you, bringing his salvation to the world. Isn't that true? Your greatest joy should be Christ, by which, by whom, we understand the triune God. We are brought back into the presence of the living God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ for you. Christ with you, Christ working through you and using you uh, by which he brings his salvation to the world. That should be our greatest joy. That should make us, like Mary, magnify the Lord. And Mary goes on how, how God is her, her Savior, my Savior, her personal Savior. Is he your personal Savior? You've got reason to rejoice. He's your Savior from sin's dominion, death's dominion, eternal doom, from the power of sin, uh, the, the pollution of sin, the penalty of sin, and one day the very presence of sin. Mary goes on how, how she sees how the Lord, he has, it says in verse 48, he looked at the humble estate of his servant. Mary was not some great queen. She wasn't a, a, a billionaire with plenty of wealth. She was an impoverished little girl. She was a young girl, probably a teenager. She was, in that society, insignificant by most. She was without status, without nobility. She was, for all intents and purposes, a nobody in society. Just a teenage Jewish girl. Just a little girl. And, uh, but, but she was a servant of the Lord. 
And that's what makes all the difference. People may look at you as insignificant. People may look at you as, as having no status in their judgment. People's opinion of you might be very low. You might be considered by some, and even by most, a nobody. But you're God's servant in Christ Jesus. And in God's eyes, you are very significant. You are the apple of God's eye. And that's what makes all the difference. God worked through Mary to bring salvation to the world. She's not the Savior, obviously. She's not to be prayed to, obviously. But it was through her that the Messiah came. She was bringing the Word, so to speak. The Word of God. Jesus didn't come through uh, a great warrior. Jesus didn't come through a powerful army with all of its skill. Historically, uh, particularly in this context, it was the men that everybody looked to as the ones who really made the difference and saved the day. But God used so many women and still does use so many women. From the beginning, he, he promised enmity. He told he told the serpent. That's the first thing he did when we fell into sin is he preached the gospel to the devil. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. He was talking about how he was going to come through a woman. Then he used someone like Tamar, Miriam, Jochebed, the king of Egypt's daughter, Shifra, Pua, all these women, Rahab, Ruth, Manoah, Deborah, Naaman's wife's little Israelite slave girl, Esther, Hannah, the list goes on. So many others, and Hannah particularly because she's like an Old Testament type of Mary. God used her in a very similar way that he used Mary. Obviously, Mary a lot more, but Hannah was also in a particular context where the leaders of the land and the leaders of the day were not doing what they should be doing. All kinds of immorality, injustice, and yet through Hannah, this barren woman, God brought Samuel, who brought justice, who brought the right judgment, who was a prophet of God. Aren't you the same way? The world looks at you in such insignificant ways, Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And he ends that passage with, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because it's in the Lord Christ that all of the good of God comes to us.
And so Mary was a person of low estate. And you might be a person of low estate. You might be a person of high estate. When we read that passage in 1 Corinthians, you might be noble. You might be wise according to this world's standards. But you have to know as you read that passage that none of that worldly wisdom commends you to God. That's not why God called you to himself. He called you to himself because he was gracious and had decided to cast his love upon you. And so Mary goes on about how all generations will call her blessed. All generations do call her happy because no one else had the privilege she had. No one else in the world could ever say that they gave birth to the Messiah. That's a wonderful privilege. That's a wonderful blessing. But it is interesting, isn't it, what, what Jesus said about that when someone pointed that out to him. Which brings us all to the same level. What am I talking about? Well, in, in Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus was sitting there and, and a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. See, all generations shall call her blessed. But then Jesus says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now that's an interesting statement to make. And Jesus, by that statement, says that there's something that even supersedes giving birth to the Messiah. It's hearing the word of God, receiving it, believing it, and doing what he says. How happy are those who hear and understand God's word and do what he says. Even more happy than Mary who gave birth to the Messiah. Now that's profound. Oh, but it's true. How happy are those? Because what it's saying is how happy are those who are beloved of God and love God in return. They know the love of God, and they love God in return. How happy are they, even happier than Mary, who gave birth to the Messiah. That even in Mary's life, her greatest joy was the fact that she was a servant of the Lord. Her greatest joy was that she was loved of God. Her greatest joy is that she learned by the Spirit to love God in return even greater than giving birth to the Messiah. And that's profound. And Mary says that all generations will call her blessed, for he who is mighty, and that's the key, he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Even though Mary is unique in giving birth to the Messiah, isn't it true that the Mighty One has done things for you as well? Has done great things for you? 
I would dare say that Jesus dying on the cross and being buried in the tomb to put your sin away and being raised from the dead to give you new life, it, there, there's nothing greater than that work of Christ on your behalf. The Mighty One has done great things for you as well. And His name is Holy, that this Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said in the 57th chapter of his prophecy, verse 15, he says, For thus says the One who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The Lord is enthroned above an unapproachable light, and yet He has approached you in Christ to redeem you, to reside in you and with you, and to make use of you for His glory. You have reason to rejoice. Mary goes on in verse 50 of chapter 1, talking about of the mercy of God uh, for those who fear Him those who stand in awe of Him, from generation to generation, that God's mercy is extended to every single generation who fears Him, who stands in awe of Him. And that teaches us that God's mercies are new every morning, forever. And, and, and your ongoing responsibility to teach the next generation how worthy the Lord is to be feared. Mary goes on to talk about in verses 51 and following what God has done. Seven things she highlights that what He will do, and in, in our case, from our standpoint, what He did back then in her day, um, was based on what He had already done. God doesn't change. And he, she talks about how He has shown strength with His arm. And he was going to do it again in, in their day, in the first century. And he still does it today. Years ago, he did it when he brought Israel out of Egypt. And it says he scattered the proud and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Remember Pharaoh? He brought him down. He scattered the proud. Remember the proud uh, Egyptian army? They said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and I'm going to do that to Israelites. And, and, and the water started to fall. And they did nothing but drown. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, how he proudly walked around his kingdom and, and, and God brought him down from his throne. And, and, and God was about to do it again in Mary's day with Herod. He was going to bring him down from his throne. And, and he, he exalted then those of humble estate. He did it in the past with Israelite slaves. He brought them to himself. He did it with Ruth a humble Moabite woman. He did it with Mary. He does it with you. He exalts those of humble estate, broken in spirit because of sin. And he's filled the hungry with good things, Mary says. He, 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 back in the day, he brought water from a rock. He brought manna out of heaven in the wilderness. 
He brought his spirit. He gives righteousness to those who hunger and thirst for that as well. He fills the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty. Remember Nabal, rich man full of wealth, and David's men were hungry and just wanted some help. He refused to give it. He sent him away. And ultimately, God helps his servant Israel. God is our refuge and strength, isn't he? A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we have no reason to fear, because there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And Jesus is the one who comes and brings that river. He came and brought the river of His Spirit to us. He brought the Spirit of God to bring healing to our broken lives and to bring life to our, our, our dead deadness and bring liberty, freedom to our enslavement and bring true happiness. And this testifies to how he remembers his mercy, as Mary says, and his promises made to the forefathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. As we move on through this text, we find that Elizabeth's uh, neighbors and her relatives rejoiced with her. There was all kinds of rejoicing during this time. And Zechariah rejoiced also when his lips were finally loosed. And uh, he rejoiced, and it says that he also was filled with the Spirit of God, and he blessed God. It says uh, in verses 67 and following, he blessed the Lord, the God of Israel, for visiting and redeeming his people, for, for giving a payment necessary to deliver us from sin. And, he, and, and, I, and Zechariah talks about uh, the horn of salvation. Uh, you see that as he speaks of that um, in, in verse 69. He has raised up a horn, and horn is a, in the Bible is, is, is a picture of strength, of power. If you consider a, a bull with its horn, even a rhino with its horn, uh, a, a horn is a, is, a, is a sign of power. It's an image of power. And, and, and this horn of salvation is God's powerful way through the cross of Jesus Christ of saving you. And that, that salvation that Jesus brings in turn saves you from your enemies and those who hate you. Primarily from Satan. It saves us from Satan. But it also saves us from those who belong to Satan. Receiving God's promised covenant love and mercy results in being able to serve Him, as it says, without fear all of our days in verse uh, 74 and 75, that, that the salvation that God brings is a salvation away from fear. Christ has been punished. Fear has to do with punishment. And Jesus Christ has been punished for your sin. And because He's the propitiation, the one who takes the wrath of God upon Himself in our stead, there's no reason to be afraid. Perfect love, God's perfect love, casts out fear. And uh, he gives us the ability to, to serve him all of our days in holiness, set apart for God, by God, and in righteousness, sanctified by the work of the Spirit. And it's through that salvation that we are able to overcome evil and overcome evil with good. We show uh, the mercy of God even to those who hate us. 
since we have been delivered from Satan's tyranny and we have been empowered by the Spirit of God, motivated by the grace of God in Jesus Christ to do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who abuse us. And through this type of witness, many will be converted and become one of God's own people. Jesus, our peace, brings peace not only between God and man, but man and man. And you see that towards the end of Zechariah's prophecy. How he talks about that peace that's going to come. And, and this type of life comes from, and, and, and Zechariah begins to segue between talking about Jesus, the Messiah, and then talking about his son, John, the forerunner of Jesus, in, in verse 76. And, and, and this type of life that, that Jesus brings, that the Messiah is going to bring, that Zechariah prophesied about in verses 68 through, through, through 75, this type of life comes from, from knowing your own sins have been forgiven. That's what he says that John's ministry would bring about and you child in verse 76 will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the lord and prepare his ways to give the knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our god that you can only live this kind of life in relation to your enemies and those who hate you you can only do it if you know that you have been forgiven for your sins if you know that you were once an enemy of god you were once uh, just a sinner, not once saved by grace, but solely a sinner, an enemy of God, weak and broken and corrupt. And yet God came to you, his enemy, and loved you and was gracious with you and forgiving towards you in Jesus Christ. And it's that kind of interaction, that type of impact that God has had on your life, that's what motivates. That's what gives a foundation for you to love your enemies and those who hate you. Your own sins have been forgiven. The very proof that you hated God, that you were his enemy, has been wiped away, has been erased from the record, has been washed in the blood, has been replaced by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you have been declared right and righteous by God's tribunal. And it's all because of the tender mercy of God. And because of that, light through your life will dawn to those who sit in darkness. As it says in verse 79, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet, together to guide our feet, in the way of peace. God wants to use you, not only this Christmas season, but He wants to use you all the time to speak peace to the enemy, to your enemies, not to the enemy, Satan, but to your enemies, to speak peace to those who hate you, to speak peace, which means well-being. It means things are the way they were meant to be originally. Shalom. Everything's put back and restored the way it ought to be. And particularly in this case, it's talking about relationships with God 
in relationships with other human beings. Elizabeth, John, Mary, Zachariah, their joy and fellowship should not exceed yours. You've got plenty of reason, infinite reason, equal reason to rejoice. God has been good to you in Jesus Christ. He has given you in Christ Jesus infinite reasons to rejoice in Him. The Lord has come. He's come for you. Won't you rejoice with each other and take this inexpressible, glory-filled joy, even Jesus Himself, to the world who is in desperate need of joy, of deliverance, of mercy, of peace that God alone in Christ can give. God bless you and keep you as he has smiled upon you in Christ Jesus.